for your grace, Daddy. Revelation chapter 2 verse 18 to verse 29 you got it say so and it says here and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write these things says the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass I know your works love service and your patience and as for your works the last are more than the first Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet is to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent for her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, as I also have received from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, we thank you for your truth that sets us free, for your truth that illuminates us, Lord God, and shows us, Lord, your will and your purpose. And Heavenly Father, today I ask you, dear God, that you would truly give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. That you would give us the ability to discern, Lord God. That you would give us the ability, Lord God, to be sensitive to where you're speaking to us as individuals as well as to us as a body. God, help us to respond to you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the name of Jesus. We've been dealing the last few weeks with the church that has the, over, the, the focus of the overcoming church. And this week we're going to deal with this church here. This is the fourth church that we'll talk about. And this is the church of Thyatira. The most significant thing, I believe the absolutely most important thing for us to realize when we look at the book of Revelation. We're looking at this book. Now, we're not going through this whole book, but when you go through this book, as you read this book, you must realize something, and it is that throughout the book of Revelation, there is a focus, and the focus is on Jesus. Say, the focus is on Jesus. The focus is on him throughout the whole book of Revelation. Everything in the book of, Re uh, in the book of Revelation is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the most important thing for us to grasp as a church and to grasp as a people. The most important thing in this book is not the mark of the beast, is not, you know, all of the, the, the trumpets and the vials and all of that stuff. All of those things are significant. But the most important thing is the revelation of Jesus. If you don't get that through this book, you miss the whole point. That's the whole point of the book. 
The whole point of the book, when we look at these chapters that we've been dealing with, or actually in these two chapters, chapter two and chapter three, and dealing with these different churches, God is calling his church to overcome. That's why we have, we have entitled this, or I've entitled this series, The Overcoming Church Focus, because we have to have a focus as a church, and that way we will be able to overcome. And that focus is what? It's on Jesus. It's about the revelation of who he is. And as we look at these chapters, it is awesome to see how God inspires the writing to each church. The way that it happens is this. In the first chapter of the book of Revelation, we get a glorious and wonderful picture of who Jesus is. In the first chapter, a wonderful picture, there's all these different things that are pointed out about Jesus, who he is, what he does, what he's like, his power, his glory, his majesty, great revelation of him. We get this in the first chapter and then we move into the second chapter and we go from this glorious, wonderful, majestic Jesus to the church. Notice the shift. We go from this glorious beauty of who Jesus is, of how mighty Jesus is, how glorious Jesus is to then a not so glorious picture of the church. And there's no need to be depressed about that because what we realize is that when we look at all of these churches, no matter what, no matter how good, no matter how bad, we are taught something. And it is that no matter how good things are, no matter how bad things are in your individual life, in the collective life of the church, no matter how good things may seem, no matter how bad things may seem, it all remains about Jesus. All of it. He is the one who is glorious at all times. We as the church are a work in progress. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. We are a work in progress. Now I want you to shove him a little bit, push on him and say, that means you too. Now push him back and say, and you too. Now listen, sometimes we think, yeah, you're a work in progress, I've already arrived. I'm a little further on than you, that doesn't mean anything. We are all a work in progress. The task that we see given to John here is to convey a quality control message to each of these churches, allowing to get a Christ view of themselves. Quality control. Now, I was working this part-time job. Hallelujah. And this part-time job, we're cleaning planes. You know how big planes are, right? Pretty big, right? Glory to God. And it takes a few hours with a crew to clean this plane. And now going into that, you know, you think, oh, man, this is crazy. You know, this, you know, clean this plane. You see this plane. And then you see the apparatus that you're utilizing to clean the plane. It's kind of like that scrub thing that you get for your car. You know, that thing that's like a brush in the front is like about this big. So just imagine looking at a plane that is huge and this little thing, right? You're like, glory to God. This is going to be a lot of work. But praise the Lord, it's not you by yourself. It would be you would die trying to clean the plane by yourself with that. But you got a crew, and so you're working together and all that is right. Anyway, the whole thing is, at the airport, working over here, cleaning these planes, making them, you know, try to make them look right and all this stuff. And so after we work hard through this whole process of cleaning the plane, and when I tell you we clean the plane, let me explain to you what I'm talking about. We clean the plane, and then we go over it back and forth, back and forth, walking, looking at every single little dot. This is at night, okay? This is not during the day. So we're looking at every little area, making sure that it's clean making sure that it's shiny all this stuff right taking our time glory to God right <laughs> and then then after all that we're like we're good this plane looks amazing you have to call the QC folk and they come out there with their little flashlight 
little blue light flashlight. And they walk out, and, and, and you know, I, I'm just, I can only talk about me. You know, I know that the other brothers, we were talking and stuff like that. But I'm looking at these dudes because I'm like, I want to see what they're going to find wrong with this plane. Because I know tonight, glory to God, this plane is off the chain. Hallelujah. Homeboy comes out, looks at the plane. Look, and I'm looking at his facial expression because I want to see, you know, let me see. Because, you know, folk, be, you know, they, they make faces like, oh, that looks good. I'll be like, right? Get out there, looking, takes a little flashlight out. And I see, you know, the supervisor and one of the guys over there be like, he's like, right here. Oh, man, come on, dude. And before you know it, you got to wash this whole, what? What? Three hours. We're on this plane. Two and a half hours on this. I got to clean it. What? Hear me. It is a painful process. This, this is amazing. Now, that's just about cleaning a plane, right? It's frustrating because you think, man, I worked hard. I did this to the best of my ability. I don't have, listen, around 4 o'clock in the morning, I don't know about anybody else in here, but around 4 o'clock in the morning, my body just starts to say, what are you doing? Why are your arms moving with this thing in your hands? Why are you all up under, what, what's wrong? Why are you not in a bed somewhere? That's just my, I don't know about anybody else, but around 4 in the morning, it shuts down on me. I'm like, glory to God, is this over yet? All right? Go through all that rigorous, difficult work to then have a guy come out who's been sitting inside, right, all this time. I'm, I'm going to break it down for you now because this, 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 this is how the frustration builds up. So sitting down inside, you know, he's drinking coffee, sleeping, napping, whatever, waiting on us to come and call him. He comes out, tells you, I got to keep going. It is painful. The process is painful. Hear me now. I went to Kennedy Space Center, right? What I just talked about seems, you know, man, come on, dude. It's got a spot. Is that going to kill the plane? The plane's going to get more dirty in the sky, right? Anyway, it's his job to make sure what? That the plane is clean. They have their standards. Whatever their standards are, that's how you got to deal with it. Amen? Amen? Glory to God. When I went to Kennedy Space Center, I got a real good, good perspective on this whole thing of quality control. You go to Kennedy Space and I haven't been there since I was a little, little kid. I don't even remember if I went. I think I went when I was young. But anyway, I don't remember anything. I don't remember half the stuff I learned when I went there. But regardless of the point, I know this much. When I was in there, they were talking about all the different spaceships that have gone to space. And they talked about one in particular that they were in there and they were testing. And they were inside of the, uh, you know, of, of the place where the, where, where, you know, where the pilots are and stuff like that, where the astronauts are. And while they were in there in testing... This is in testing. A fire happened, and everybody inside of there died. This wasn't taken off in the ground. This was right. I mean, this wasn't taken off in the air. This was still sitting on the ground on a launching pad, just in a testing phase. You want to know what happened? Somebody failed their quality control check. Somebody failed their quality control check. Y'all remember, I know that you got to remember the astronauts that were flying up. I don't remember what year it was exactly. I think I was like in third grade or something like that. The reason why I remember because everything stopped and they were showing on the news this, 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 this um, shuttle is going off, the Challenger going up there. And there, there's a school teacher that's on there for the first time going, you know, going up there. I was about to say to heaven. She's going up there, right, to the second heaven as high as we can get. And so she's moving and everybody's excited. She's going up there. She's going to bring back some information. The Ship blows up. What happened? Somebody failed quality control. Somebody failed to do it. Listen, isn't it awesome to know that Jesus is not going to fail on his inspection and our quality control? 
Because you know what happens when if Jesus were to fail, and I say if because Jesus would never fail in his quality control inspection of us, but if Jesus failed in, in checking us out, you know we would end up? In hell. If he fails, he says, oh, you're all right, you're good. Don't, you, know, you don't have to grow anymore in grace. You don't have to sanctify yourself any longer. You don't have to continue. If he were to do that, where do we end up? Burning in hell. Burning in hell. We have to be the ones who submit to this process. Realizing when I was at the Kennedy Space Center, I'm like, man, it's a big deal, this quality control deal. And, and especially when you look at what's going to move. When you go from cleaning a plane on a launch pad, you know, in, in, in an airport, to now the, you know, the, 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 the challenger going up into the sky, there's a big difference as far as what is happening. And can I let you know that something that is even greater than, than a spaceship going off is the mobility of the church in society. Hmm, you didn't hear me. That is a great thing to move into outer space, but the greatest thing is for us to be mobile, active, to be light bearers in the midst of society. It is the most important thing that we move forward in the power and in the glory of God. It is the most important thing that our lives reflect Jesus in every area, that our lives reflect him in all things. It is the most important thing because if we do not reflect him correctly, we will explode the wrong way in the flesh, in the face of those who need Jesus, and we will be the cause for them not coming to Christ understand this our lifestyles the way that we live the way that we represent Jesus that is the greatest privilege that anyone has but it is also the greatest feat that anyone's ever been given to represent him he is perfect. He is holy. He is righteous. He is pure. He never lies. He never does wrong. He is never unfaithful. He always does the right thing. He is 100% on time always, and we have to represent him. That's a tough task, church. The most important task. While the quality control process is painful, it is vital to the overall fruit of our labor. The overall fruit of our label de depends on the quality control that Jesus gives us. And that's what the Apostle John had to deliver to these seven churches. It was the QC revelation. It was what Jesus saw. Now, John, I want you to go and speak unto these churches. And so we've looked at a few churches, and now we're looking at this church of Thyatira. And the first thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, Jesus not only sees where we are, what we do, but he also sees why we do it and where we have erred. Jesus, he knows where we're at, and we talked about that. Jesus sees what we're doing. We know that. But he doesn't just see that. He sees why we're doing what we're doing. And he also sees where we err. And when he communicates to us that you are in error, when he communicates to us that you are doing something wrong, when he communicates to us that we are falling short in some area, it is not because he does not love us. It is because he loves us passionately. He doesn't want to hurt our feelings beyond repair, but he wants to bring us into a greater place of intimacy with him. And the more we die, the closer we come to him. Amen? Thyatira, this particular church, 
was a small, or, or this particular city was a small city. It was located between Pergamos, which was the church that we spoke about last time I spoke, and Sardis, which is the church that we'll speak about next, right in the center. And this, this city was a trade city. It was a city where there was, you know, all kind of guilds, and there was groups of people that were selling and trading and all that stuff. And wherever there was selling and there was trading, you would always find, a, you, you would always find immorality and idolatry. Because these people are out there, they're selling stuff There's going to be, we talked about and we dealt with Pergamos, the foods that were sacrificed to idols, all of that is going to be there. It's no different than when we go, when, when we go on vacation and stuff like that. How many of y'all ever been on a cruise? Raise your hand. Or if you've ever been on a cruise, glory to God. All right, put your hand down. The rest of you, just get on one. Hallelujah. Soon. Soon. The summer's coming. Go on ahead and find, you know, don't, don't go into debt. All right, you heard me? Don't, 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 don't go charging it. If you ain't got the money saved up, you, you can't go until next summer. Start saving now. Have a good time. But anyway, for those of us that have been on this, right? And, you know, some of you have been on vacations to different places, right? And they have marketplaces. And you see these marketplaces, and they have all of these things. I mean, they have these masks. They have all of these different symbols, and really they're idols. And they have all of this stuff that's there. And, and, and the same way you saw that, just imagine that just to the umph degree because everybody was coming to that place to be a seller, to be a trader. Everybody had to have their booth there because this is a, a much less populated society. So they had to come to the place that was central for selling, and that way everybody could, you know, see their products. And so in those places, there was always a Morality. There was always there, there was always idolatry and the chief God. I mean, they had prostitutes in these areas, all kind of stuff, all as acts of worship. We're going to talk about idolatry today in a deeper way. And the chief God of this particular city was the God Apollos or the sun God. That was the chief God of this city, which shows us why Jesus brings the revelation of himself as the son of God who has eyes like fire, feet like brass. Your chief God in this city is the sun God. I want you to know I am not the sun. I am the son of God, and I am the all-consuming fire. I want you to understand that when I come to you, eyes like fire are showing us that he sees through all of that other stuff that everybody else doesn't see through. Eyes like fire means he sees, you know, you, you ever had someone that they just like look through you? You ever been around those folks? They like, it's like they're not even looking at you. They're just looking through you. Not because they're ignoring you, but like they see right into your heart. This is Jesus, again, showing himself, feet like brass, demonstrating the judgment that is imminent. He is coming toward the church. He is walking among the church. The, the, the Apollos is not, the, is not your light. I am your light, the consuming fire. When you look at this particular church, you'll find that the characteristics of this church are little, they're, they're, they're pretty good, the positive characteristics. It says, I know your works your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong one here, glory to God, 18, sorry, over here, 18, and then it says, and I know your works, I want to bring you back to Ephesus here, I know your works, love, service, faith, and patience, and as for your works, the last are more than the first, now, I want you to hear what he just said of this church, he said, I know your works, I know your works, so this church is known for their works. I know your love. That word love there is the word agape. Now I've explained this before. That word agape means the love of God. What it doesn't mean is it doesn't just mean Christian love. Because a person in the world can have agape love. It's a love that God puts inside of us. Scripture, scripture clearly communicates that. It talks about people agapeing. They agape the world. They love the world. They have an unconditional love for the world. With our children, you see people, they're not, listen, they're not Christian. Child is born. They have an unconditional love. The difference is this. 
When you are a Christian, you are connected to the source of agape. Therefore, nothing will allow, if you stay connected to that source, nothing will allow that agape to grow cold. Difference. That's the difference. See, when you got agape in the world, your kids, you know, some people, they have a different tolerance level in their agape love, right? And your kids do certain stuff. is like agape went out the door. And it's not when they're little kids. It's when they grow up and they get crazy. Hello. You know, 25 still acting like 10. Agape. Mm-hmm. This church, this church, again, again, this church is known. He says, I know your works. I know your love, agape. So he's saying, you have this love that is in you. He says, I know your service. Service, that word is the word diakonos. It means to serve or to minister. These people were known for what? For being a ministering church. They saw someone who had a need, they met it. They were taking up offerings to meet needs of families. They were doing all kinds of stuff. This church was a church that was known for their works. They were known for their service. They were known for their love. They were known because they also had faith. This is a church of faith, of faithful people, people that were filled with faith. They knew God was going to do this. They knew God had called them to do things. They knew God was saying, they knew all of this stuff. He goes on to communicate to them, and he says, I know, I, know, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and I know your patience or your perseverance. In other words, they continue to persevere. They continue to press forward in the face of opposition, in the face of what is going on around them. They continue to love on Jesus. They continue to serve and minister their needs. They continue to do those things that bring glory and honor to God. The last part is amazing. He says, your last works are greater than your first works. He says, your last works. In other words, they're not getting worse in their works. Their last deeds are greater than the first. What they're doing now is outdoing what they did in the beginning. He's commending them for that. He's saying, man, you guys are doing a great job. But then he goes on and he, and, and, and he shows us something. He says, he shows us that Thyatira differs from Ephesus. You remember Ephesus, the one that I was trying to make y'all read again? Ephesus was a church that was doctrinally sound, right? They were a church that they, were, they, they, they rebuked the Nicolaitans. They had sound doctrine. They were doing things, but they were a church that lacked love. Thyatira, different. Thyatira was full of love, yet they were prophetically polluted that's the title of the message for this church the church of prophetic pollution they were prophetically polluted they were polluted because they allowed this woman Jezebel to get up and speak what this church shows us is that we can number one do the wrong things for the right reasons we can do the wrong things for the right reasons and we can also not do the right things for the right reasons what do you mean Bishop what I mean is this church should have rebuked this woman, kicked this woman out of the church, made it clear that she was a heretic, made it clear that she had no place in their midst, and instead, because they were so overwhelmed with love, agape, they decided they were going to be silent and let her sit with them and act as though everything was okay, like they're on the same, pl- like they're on the same team on the playing field, like they are all on the same page when in reality they weren't. What was the motivation? It's because they had this love. They had a love that was burning in them. They wanted to serve. They wanted to minister. They were like, you know what? And, and you know, we have churches in the, in, in the world today, and some of us act like this sometimes. We overlook sin because we love, and just hopefully they'll be okay. Is that what the Bible tells us to do? Is that what the Bible tells us to do? 
The Bible doesn't tell us that we're supposed to overlook sin just because we love someone. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that we are supposed to speak the truth in love. That's how the book of Ephesians says that we grow together. Ephesians chapter 4 says speaking the truth in love. When we speak the truth in love, we do what? We grow up into him who is the head, Jesus. The problem is when we speak the truth without love. And the issue is when we don't speak the truth because we have so much love. In this church, they had a problem. See, one, one, one of them is that they weren't doing the right thing. The right thing was they should have confronted this thing. The other thing that I said is that sometimes we do the wrong things for the right reasons. One day I'll give you an example of myself. Um, I know stuff like this doesn't happen to anyone else, but I'll use myself as an example. Driving down the road probably like three or four years ago, I was with my sister. Actually, I was behind my sister. My sister driving in front of me. My, my two nieces are in the car with her. And as she's driving down the road, you know, there's this guy just driving absolutely crazy. He, like, cuts her off, almost knocks her off the road. And I just got, like, so heated. And because I love my niece, I love my sister. And this guy is just, like, just acting like an idiot. And I'm sorry to use that word if that offends you, but that's what he was doing. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And so I, like, pull up next to him, like, dude, are you stupid? There's, there's kids in this car. Are you, are, are you dumb? You think that was right? No, that wasn't right. I shouldn't have said nothing to him. I did it for the right reason, though, because I love her. Not like I, not like I have this violent bone in me, like I just want to fight everybody on the planet, right? No. No. My motivation wasn't because I wanted to beat somebody up. I just wanted to tell somebody, dude, wake up. So the way I went about it, wrong thing. But here's what happens. Sometimes we have a passion inside of us, and we do the wrong thing for the right reasons. This church, the same way. They were allowing their love to be the dominant factor, not allowing the word of God to balance their love out. Second thing, please say this with me. False prophecy and false prophets cannot be tolerated for they always lead to immorality and idolatry. When we looked at the church of Pergamos, we saw the same thing, very similar, not exactly the same. But we saw that they had the Nicolaitans and the ones who had taken the, the doctrine of Balaam. And, you know, they, they had that doctrine and it led them to what? To the same thing, the same behaviors. As we read on in this particular verse here in verse 20, it says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat sacrifice. Idols. I want you to pause for a moment because I want you to see this is this this is Jesus speaking. This is not me speaking and saying so and so is a servant of Jesus. I don't know so and so's heart. Are you with me here? When I say someone is a servant of Jesus, I could say Jimmy is a servant of Jesus, right? But I don't know Jimmy's heart, and I'm using Jimmy because I know he's not going to get offended. This is not something about him, all right? I'm just using him as an example, all right? Jimmy, he could be out there living a crazy life. I mean, just when he goes out of church, just living foul, not living for Jesus, not loving God, and I'm not there with him. I don't know that, but I see him come to church. I see him when he comes to pray. I see him play, and so I assume that he's a Christian. I believe that, right? So I'm saying he's a servant of Christ. There's a difference. Jesus lives with you. When Jesus calls you his servant, you are his servant. Are you with me? And I want you to notice who was being seduced here. Who was being seduced? His servants. She was seducing his servants. Goes to show you how powerful this woman was. Amen? 
Those who were truly committed, those who were truly serving, those who were ripped. Jesus is saying, you are seducing, you are teaching my servants to commit idolatry and to, and, and, and to commit immorality. This is what you are doing. You are bringing my service to this place. I love what one preacher said. He says, it doesn't take a man to mess up a church. A woman can mess up a church. Hello, somebody. I love what he said, too. He said she was probably hot. She was probably cute. And she's like, well, I got a little bit of word. Hello, somebody. Hmm. She looked all spiritual, came up in the house of the Lord and, and, and started prophesying. Because that's what she said. He, she said, now, now, now notice this. I want you to notice this as well. Jesus does not say she's a prophet. Jesus said she calls herself a prophet. See, these are my servants. She calls herself a prophet. She ain't a prophet. She looks like a prophet to y'all. The, the, the only way that she could get away with calling herself a prophet is because she was doing things that prophets do. <laughs> Glory to God. That's the only way she was going to get away with that one. She was up there doing things that prophets do, calling people out, saying, thus says the Lord, right? That's, that's what was happening. Now, we, are, are we against that? Absolutely not. Do we believe that women cannot prophesy? That would be contrary to scripture. Hello, somebody. But here's the reality. In this situation, this woman comes in there different because we have two different things here. We, and, and, and this is the thing, is that we need to understand this, that today's society, today's society is looking for convenience instead of commitment. They are looking for comfort instead of sacrifice. They are looking for sensation rather than a true walk of faith. This is what happens. Our society, what are we looking for? We're looking for convenience instead of commitment. And so what happens? Somebody comes and prophesies convenience to you. You don't have to commit to anything. You don't have to devote yourself to prayer. You don't have to devote yourself to the word. You don't have to devote yourself to service. You don't have to devote yourself to God in any way. You don't have to do any of that. No big deal. Bring you and just let you know. You just continue on like you are. Everything's going to be fine. Prophesy convenience. That's the prophet I want to hear. We want comfort instead of sacrifice, right? Now, I, say, I, I don't mean I want to hear that prophet, all right? I'm saying if I want that, you know, I want that. I got to clear that up. Glory to God. Y'all with me? Hallelujah. You want comfort instead of sacrifice. Nobody wants to hear about how they need to get up and pray and fast. No. Nobody wants to hear about how they need to lay their life down pick up their cross. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear how they have to say no to things that they really want to say yes to. Nobody wants to hear that. No, nobody wants to hear that. We want to be comforted. Nobody wants to hear that there's a potential that some of the stuff that you're going through, and we'll see this in the scripture, is because of your disobedience. Therefore, you need to repent. Instead, we just want to hear a comforting word. Somebody come and comfort me. Somebody come and embrace me. Somebody come and show me that it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay if you get right. We don't want to hear that. But the prophetess or the prophet who comes before you and communicates to you, man, you just continue like you are. God's going to embrace you, and they see tears running down your face, and right away we think tears run down their face, they need comfort. That's not necessarily true. Tears could be running down your face and you need to hear that hard word that is going to continue to break you and bring you to the place that God wants you to come. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 
It is within all. And look, I can only tell you from me. I can't talk about anybody else, but I know this. Being a minister and, and, and you know, and praying for people, you see someone weeping on the altar, you know, I, and, and for me, it's especially with a man. When you see a man weeping on the altar and a man crying before God, man, it is automatic in me just to want to embrace them and hug them. Just want to bring comfort. Men don't just cry just to cry. Right? I mean, I know I don't. I wish I cried more, but I don't. automatic in us to want to do that it's not it's not necessarily always the case sometimes folk got to get through that they got to go through that but what does our society want we want convenience we want comfort and you know what we want we want sensation we want some feeling we got to feel it hello <laughs> glory to god right we got to feel it if we're not feeling it i don't know man i don't i don't know i don't know if god was there I don't know, was, was God not there? He was probably there. Were you there? Were you waiting to feel it? Waiting to feel something? Need to be, see, we need that sensation. We need, we need to, so we're looking for that. See, that's what our society's looking for. You know what happens? Slowly but surely, because we don't pay attention, that stuff creeps right into church. I was reading a book the other day, a very popular book by a writer, and I just, you know, I, I was reading a blog from someone else about this book, and I happen to have the book on my shelf. I've never read the book. Um, I probably won't read the book, and, you know, maybe one day I will. Who knows? But anyway, I'm reading the book. I open up to one chapter, and I just happen to open up to this chapter, and this is probably like the confirming factor why I wouldn't read the book. But, you know, they're going through the whole thing. They're talking about the way that services should be run, right? They're talking about services and how they do stuff. And they talked about how they have timed their service to where their services are 70 minutes long. They timed it, 70-minute services. My favorite preacher, you want to know what? If you go, you can go online to his website. Every single one of his messages are over one hour long. And let me just say this for the record, on his behalf, he has one of the largest churches in the United States of America. Thousands upon, many churches have come out of that place. And you want to know what? He's doing his best. The other one, and now here's the thing, both of these churches, mega churches, both of these churches, two of the largest churches on the planet, one of them, they get, they, 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 they get down, okay, we're going to do this in 70 minutes. The other one, he preaches longer than their whole services. Listen, I don't have a problem with scaling stuff back. I mean, I come from a church with, you know, three-hour services, I guess. I don't know, long services, a little bit longer than hours here. So I, I don't have an issue. You know, I, I obviously scaled back a little bit, glory to God. But I'm not going to go ahead and say, okay, Holy Ghost, you have six minutes in this song to work. You have three minutes to work here during offering. If Pastor Chad wants to preach for five or 10, 15, 20 minutes, he can't do it. He's got two minutes to get up, get down. If, you know, are you kidding me? And I and listen, I'm gonna just let you know. I really, I really try. I really try to preach for like 30 minutes. Sometimes it works. Probably today it won't. Glory to God. But the reality is that you have this mindset. And so what happens? This is what happens. You begin to cater to that mindset of people. We want to get in. We want to get out. I had someone talk to me the other just the other day. They're like, man, you need a drive-through service. I'm like, drive-through service. Let me choke you right now. Drive you right through, glory to God, the ground. But anybody, but here, listen, drive through service. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not down with that, you know, glory to God. See, that's, that, that would be doing the wrong thing for the right reason. I love Jesus and I was, anyway. Listen, need a drive through. Wait a second. This is about Jesus, isn't it? Amen. That's what the revelation is about. It is about him. 
And so we look at this mindset. That's the reason why these false prophets have such a way. That's the reason why these things happen. False prophet comes in, and here's what happened. God speaks, and we're going to look at this in, in detail here. God speaks, and when hearts are unrepentant, what happens? God gives them over to their desires. So you know what? You want drive through services? I'm going to give you the drive through services. Hopefully, in that drive through service, you meet Jesus for real, truly repent of your sin, and make it to heaven. If not, you will have gone to drive through after drive through after drive through and you will go straight to hell, and that's the bottom line. Because you, what you did was you checked off your list of things you had to do. You did that in however long it is. There are some churches do 70 minutes. Some churches do 30 minutes. Some churches do 45 minutes. I have no idea how they do it. But they do it that way. And so what happens? You want that? Okay. There you go. You can have it. And so we raise up. We see all these preachers raised up. And, they, and, and, and listen, I don't, again, I want to make this very clear. I believe you can hear from God in 70 minutes. Amen. I believe you can hear from God in five seconds. You don't have to be here forever to hear from God. But what I am saying is we cannot program to comfort people. We must go ahead and be led by the Spirit according to the Scriptures in making disciples because that is what we're called to do. See, when I look at my Bible, I don't find any of that stuff. Look, I, I see Paul preaching one time. As a matter of fact, he preached so long this dude was sitting by a window, fell out the window. Paul is preaching all night. This guy is like, glory to God, apostle. Please, please, uh, glory to Hallelujah. Right? You know how Pastor Frank talks about them long blinks. Glory to God. Oh, brother sitting by the window. He should, listen, if, 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 <laughs> just don't sit by a window. Homeboy falls out the window. They go outside, pray for he's going to be all right. I got to finish my message. Come on. Listen, they weren't worried about that stuff. They wanted as much of Jesus as they could get when they came together. Imagine what happened. Listen, we don't, have to, we don't even have to imagine what would happen if we were really that way. Look at your Bible and see what happens when people really want Jesus. What happens is revival takes place because people really hunger and thirst after him. And they don't care about their comforts. They don't care about any of those things. They want him. That's it. That has to be the mindset and the heart set that we have as a people of God. That we desire him above everything else. Let me say this, and this is going to sound so counter everything you have ever heard, but I'm going to say it because you need to hear it. We need to become judgmental. We need to become judgmental. But Bishop, I thought Jesus said, judge not so that ye not be judged. He did. And you know who he was mainly preaching to? The Pharisees, who judged everything according to the flesh. But you go on ahead and you read the Apostle Paul and like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, when he talks about judging all things. He talks about being judgmental. And not being judgmental, sending people to hell. Being critical. Being, see, when you look at that word judgment, you know, what, you, know, you know what it is? It's being discerning. Here's a beautiful example. We're sitting here in prayer today, right? Sister Belinda. She asked for her son for prayer for him, right? What was her prayer? That he would be able to judge. That he would be able to know who he should be hanging out with and who he shouldn't. Didn't everybody agree with that prayer? Didn't you want that boy to know who he should be with, who he shouldn't be with? We, we want that, right? We want him to know that. That's a good thing. Why wouldn't you want that for the church? Jesus does. The world doesn't, but Jesus does. Jesus wants the church to know, and not only to know, but to declare right, wrong. 
He wants them to communicate, this is sin, this is righteousness. This is unholy, this is holy. He wants them not only to know it, but to communicate it. This church is rebuked because they didn't. Because this woman comes in there and she begins to prophesy. See, here's what happens. We need to be discerned. We need to be discerning when it comes to what we allow to be accepted as truth and doctrine. Now, here's the difference. In the, in, in, the, in the church of Pergamos, we had the teachers who came in and brought this false doctrine. And the difference between the teacher and the prophet is that the prophet usually brings signs and wonders, sensation, some type of feeling which validate their words. The teacher wows you with facts that validate them, proving that they're deeper than you and worthy of your respect. Two different groups. So false teachers are going to come in, and they're going to show you the Greek, the Hebrew. They're going to break it down. It's in a present tense, future tense. Errors, they're going to break all this stuff down. They're going to make sure you understand how deep they are. And once you're lost, then they're going to say, now you need to listen to what I tell you. Because I understand this stuff better than everybody else. You guys are not at my level. You haven't come to that place. The prophet doesn't have to be deep like that. The prophet can come into the place and, and, and the Bible continuously speaks about false prophets, false teachers in the last days, false signs and wonders, things that will follow. Do we believe in prophets? Absolutely, because if there is a false, there is a real. But the fact of the matter is, we need to be discerning. This church, they didn't have everything that we have. They didn't have all these inspired books all together the way that we do. We have a lot more than they did. Immorality and idolatry are the end result of both false teaching and false prophecy. When we look at what happens here in, in, in the church of Pergamos, false teaching produced what? Idolatry. They started eating food sacrificed to idols. Look, we eat food sacrificed to idols. I can guarantee you that we do. I can guarantee you that we do. That's the bottom line. I can't, I can't go and give you some facts because I'm not going to dig into all of that because to me it really doesn't matter. But the fact of the matter is I guarantee you that there's somebody out there that produced some kind of meat that you and I eat or produced some kind of food that you and I eat that they've dedicated to their God and they've went ahead and they do it. That, that's the bottom line. And I'm going to talk to you about some gods in a moment that, we, you know, Old Testament gods that we still worship today. We just don't call on them. We just give them honor and reverence. In the Old Testament, we find the god Asherah. And I'm going to give you a couple of these, and, and these are ones that are pretty common in the Old Testament. So when you read the Old Testament, you'll be able to look at this because we look at idolatry. I said it produced idolatry, right? So I want you to look at idolatry and see what happens. So the goddess Asherah, who is this? This is the goddess of fertility or the goddess of sex. So this goddess and her temples, you know what they used to do? They used to all come together in the temple. They would all get naked and start having all kind of crazy orgies. How about that for a church growth tactic? Just come up in here, we all get naked, we get busy, and, you know, church is going to grow. <laughs> Rob, you need Jesus, man. He said it's going to be a big nursery. Hello. So one goddess, but here's a question. Do we worship that goddess today? You think we worship the goddess of sex today? Listen, if you want to sell beer, don't show them the beer. Don't show them how drunk it's going to get you. Just get two women to go and jump in a pool and have a wet t-shirt contest as they're wrestling in the water. That'll sell you Bud Light. Hello? I want that because somehow I'll get drunk enough to, to, to envision that. I guess that's what it is. 
Everything, everything. Listen, our society is dominated by sensuality. Our society is dominated by sexual perversion. That God Shira is large and in charge. We just don't call her by that. It's just advertisement. But we all watch it. We all see it. Sex sells. We know that, right? So is that, do we serve that God here in the United States? Absolutely. Baal is another God in the Old Testament. And this one was like the chief God. He is the one that you will see more than anybody else. If there was a rival to God Almighty, it was Baal. No real rivalry, but the fact of the matter is, for whatever reason, Israel was always turning to Baal. They had Baal this, Baal that, the God of covenant. I mean, all over the place. When we look at the God Baal, he was the God of prosperity. The thunder God. He, he was also in control of the sun. He controlled what was going to happen in your crops. He controlled what was going to happen in your animals. So you got to give him homage in that way what? You can go ahead and you can make sure your crops produce. You can make sure that your animals produce. That was the God that they served. You don't think that we serve the God of money in this nation? Why do we think that the debt ratio is so high in people's lives? Because of that God of money. One of the highest reasons for divorce is not just adultery and immorality, but it is because of what? Money issues. Because we don't love God enough to make him the center. Therefore, money becomes the center. And then we begin to fight with each other. And we love money more than we love each other. We love our comfort more than we love each other. And what we end up doing is we end up separating because you didn't make enough money. Do we serve that God? Absolutely. There's another God in the Old Testament, and his name is Gad. And this one I'm going to give you a scripture to because I only found him one time. His name is Gad, G-A-D. And he is the God of luck or the God of chance or the God of superstition. There's another God that I didn't write down, but it's right next to him in Isaiah 65 and verse 11. And is the God Mini or the God Destiny. And here's what I want you to understand. These are gods that they served that had altars to in the Old Testament. But do we serve the God of luck? Of course we do. You see those athletes, right? What, they, 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 they have their lucky underwear. They, 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 they have their lucky headband. Some folks, not even athletes, they have their, you know, lucky charm, whatever it is, you know, a rabbit's foot. Whatever it is they have, they have something that is a symbol of luck. Man, as long as I got this, I'm good. Who's that? Knock on wood, right? That is you giving homage to God. That is you saying, you know what? I depend on luck. I depend on superstition. Or you know what? I can't say this. Certain words you can't say. Certain things. Listen, I don't care how you slice it. The fact of the matter is that is superstition and you are giving homage to a God other than Jehovah. You don't have to call upon him. Same thing with destiny. We have people. Oh, I want my destiny. I want my purpose. They're serving destiny and purpose more than Jesus. And they confuse the two. I got, I got to get to where God wants me to get. I got to do. Listen, I, I've, heard, I've heard more people leave churches following destiny, not because they're following Jesus. Listen, I have one, one person that I know personally gave the test. I heard him say it themselves. They left the church they were at, not because Jesus told them to, but because their destiny was there. Listen to me now. These gods, even church folk, serve them. 
There's another God by the name of Moloch. And Moloch was a funny God because he doesn't have any specific thing that he was a God of. But this God required child sacrifices. So because we were in, in, in line with Asherah and we would have had to need a big nursery, we wouldn't have because of the God Moloch. All of our children, we would have been sacrificing on the altar to Moloch. So the question is this. Do we serve Moloch? Absolutely. One out of three children are aborted. Do we serve the God Moloch? Absolutely. Why are they aborted? Listen, I know there's a big argument. Is abortion godly? Is it not? Blah, blah, blah. Listen, the bottom line is God says that we shouldn't murder. The answer is God is not for it, period. If you ask God's vote, he's going to vote against it. That's the end of the conversation. No need to go any further on it. But here is the fact. This is the thing that, that, that you need to get is that most people argument about why. Well, I think abortion could be okay because of the woman that is raped and because of that. Listen, I have compassion for that and I don't understand everything. But here's what I want you to know. That is a minority of the people that are having abortions. Most of the people who are having abortions today are doing it out of convenience because they want to have sex, but they don't want the responsibility of a child therefore what I'm going to do is I'm going to fulfill my pleasure and then I'm going to bow to my own idol of self and abort the child because I don't want them do we serve the God Moloch absolutely absolutely the last God that I go over in the new in, in the Old Testament is the God Nebo and this was a God they called prophet this God was known for literature and education do we serve that God absolutely are we seeking for knowledge? We want to become smarter. And listen, being smart is not an issue. It's when you, become to, it's, it's when you begin to worship knowledge rather than the one who gives it. It's when you begin to worship created things rather than the creator God. It is when you begin to do that that you fall off track. God says that, in, that knowledge would increase in these last days. So that's not an issue. The issue is where is our worship? Because when you have false teaching, false prophecy always leads to idolatry. In the New Testament, we don't see so many gods. There are a few, but I won't go over those because you guys know and, 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 and have heard of them. But the one God that I'll give you here, or the one idol that the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 5 speaks about specifically is covetousness. Coveting. Desiring those things that you don't have with a passion and a zeal. You know, my daughter, we, we were talking um, yesterday, and, and we, we went to the store, and she wanted a volleyball. And so as we went to get the volleyball, you know, I asked them if they had a net or whatever the case was. And they're like, yeah, we have a whole thing. And I didn't realize how wide the volleyball net is. It's like wider than the sanctuary. So I thought it would fit in my backyard. Not going to happen. So anyway, the, the lady's like, yeah, we have the volleyball net. But, you know, it has, um, you know, it has the ball inside of it. And so I had this other ball. And I tell my daughter, I'm like, you know, I said, I don't know if this, this, this ball inside of this thing is going to work. And then I was kind of struggling for a moment. I said, babe, we don't need to be vain. It's got a ball in there. You know, it's not like my daughter's going to go try to be a professional volleyball player. She's going to want to play for it for like a month and then, you know, whatever. If that. So we go and, you know, we get home and we're outside in the backyard. And she's like, daddy, what does vain mean? And I'm like, you know, it just means like empty. Like there's no reason for it. You, you, don't, you don't really need that thing. It's just being vain. And that's what happens. We have this vanity in our hearts, and we want everything that other people have just because we don't have it. It's not because we need it. Why do you think garage sales and stuff are so successful? <laughs> because of vanity. Because of covetousness. Because I get all of this stuff that I don't need. And it sits in a room that I'm paying extra for. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Covetous. I have the wrong heart. God says that's idolatry. 
Philippians 3.19, I love this one. He says, their God is their belly. I love that one. I love it because there's two applications to this. There's the one that nobody wants to hear about. And it is their belly. I struggle with this God. Let me let you know right now. There are times that I sit down and I'm like, man, I got to just throw down right now. All right? It's tough. Why do you think we have franchises? I mean, this, I, I think the last time that I, that I heard that somebody was talking about the owner of McDonald's, how much she makes or whatever, like $250,000 a day. That's a lot of money, isn't it? How on earth do you think that she makes that much money? She's not doing anything. It's because of all of those franchises that are making so much money because of what? Because they look cute? No. <laughs> because we're fat, glory to God. That's why. Because we're driving by. Like, mmm, I got to have me a Big Mac. And now they got, you, could get a, you, you, you can get the Big Mac meal and a Big Mac for a dollar, glory to God. Mm-hmm. Well, praise, the, praise the God of our belly, right? Listen, listen, listen. I don't mean to offend anybody. I, you know me, I fluctuate my weight and everything like that. I'm on my way down right now, praise the Lord, so we're good to go at the moment. I struggle. I have to repent often, have seasons where I'm like in, 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 in devoted worship to that God. I'm just, I'm just keeping it real. Just, I'm, de- I'm like, yo, I'm serving you. <laughs> Hardcore. The God of our belly. Got to get up in the middle of the night. Why? That God is talking to you. Uh-huh. Right? God is waking you up. Jesus wakes you up to pray. You're like, man, I got to go back to sleep. God of the belly, up in the fridge. Pantry. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I, I. God of our belly. But the spiritual application, and specifically what Paul is talking about, is they serve their own hungers, their own passions, their own desires, their belly, their soul. Whatever they want, that is what they do. It says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. God of our belly. These are New Testament gods. Do we serve that God? Absolutely. Other nations, they will die of starvation. We will eat ourselves to death. Listen, you, you, all you got to do to learn some stats, go watch The Biggest Loser one night. I love that show, glory to God. Keeps me, you know, keeps my mind right when I'm not serving the wrong God. Listen, we will eat ourselves to death. Why? God of our belly. Another area that we worship, I don't have a scripture for this one. I probably do. I just didn't look for it. I'm just going to let you know this because if you don't agree with this, I don't know. We worship celebrities. Celebrity, that's why we celebrate them. Go to their concerts, lifting up our hands. We don't even lift our hands in church. We raising the roof. And, oh, yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah, jumping. Ah! <laughs> come to church.
And you know what? <laughs> so, so, listen, sometimes I sit here, and I'm, I'm like looking out, and I'm ready to just get them. Be like, y'all don't believe this. Let's just get into the word. Let's just, let's just move on. I just keep it real. But then I got to close my eyes and say, well, maybe they're not there yet. <laughs> I'm just keeping it real, y'all. Sports. Listen, we yell at the TV. You hear what I just said? We yell at the TV. We get mad, passionate. What's wrong with them? What's wrong with that coach? I'm going to take this one because everyone said this was good, so y'all should hear this. We know more stats than scripture. It's good. See, bro, that was good. That was Pastor Chad. Glory to God. Do we, do we worship celebrities? Absolutely. We want to dress like them. They get a tattoo on their neck. I got to get a tattoo on, on their neck. They get both ears pierced. Got to get both ears pierced. They get their nose. I got to get. They get everywhere they're pierced. You got to be pierced. Where'd you get that? Well, one day they're wearing baggy jeans falling down. Now they're wearing skinny jeans. Where are we wearing? Baggy jeans, skinny jeans. Who are we dressing like? Celebrities. Whether we want to realize it or not, those are our gods. We worship them more faithfully. Listen, back in the day, we just wouldn't miss certain shows, certain games. Now we have TiVo. We still don't miss them. Now they're just more convenient to us because our gods got smart. Well, you know what? We'll give them a TiVo so they can watch us all the time. All their free time, they'll spend with us because normally they would miss us when they were in church or when they were at work, they couldn't get into worshiping us. Now they got TiVo so they can play us all day long. We worship these things. You know what it's a product of? It's a product of the fact that we don't hear good and right teaching. We hear false prophecies like everything is okay. The last God that we'll talk about is the one that I talked about last week, and I'm going to give you one scripture that you can go to on your own time, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I mean 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And it says clearly in the end of that verse, it says that they will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. When you go through that list, I want you to understand what God is saying through the Apostle Paul is that in these last days, the days in which we live, we will be worshipers of idols and the greatest idol is ourself. And you know how we know who we worship? Where do we spend our money? You know how we know who we worship? Where do we spend our time? You know how we know who we worship? Where do we spend our energy? That's how we know who we worship. If you don't spend time in prayer, you don't spend time in the word, you don't spend time coming to church, it's because you are not a faithful worshiper of God Almighty, period, period. That's the bottom line. Because you're faithful to your programs, you're faithful to your shopping outings, you're faithful to being with your friends, you're faithful to doing this, you're faithful to Facebook, you're faithful to MySpace, you're faithful to all of these other places, you make sure you take time to be there, but you don't have time to be with Jesus. It's because you are an idolater, period. And you know what's awesome for me? And I don't say this pridefully. What is beautiful is that I don't, I, I don't say you're an idolater because I allow false prophecy because that's not our heart in this church. You're not an idolater because of bad teaching. You would be an idolater if you are. It is because you do not apply the word of God. That is the bottom line. Immorality. This is why immorality is so bad in the church. 
Immorality destroys the ability to have true brotherly love between each other, especially the opposite sex. When you have immorality in church, the Bible calls us to have brotherly love, to greet each other with a holy kiss. When there is immorality in a church, you know what it does? It puts everybody's actions in question. When you hear, I heard, I heard, I heard of a pastor fell into adultery. Now, there's many pastors that have done this. This is just the one that came to my mind when I was thinking about this message. One pastor, he was committing adultery with his worship leader. I want you to know that I do have sex with the worship leader. It's not adultery, though. It's legal. Hallelujah. Pray. See, I did I was like, shot. oh, my goodness. Bishop said he has sex. I have a daughter. Something happened. It was not artificial. Glory to God. But listen to me. <laughs> but listen to me. The worship leader today, not the worship leader of the other days, all right? The one, the one that was leading today, my beautiful wife. But this one was sitting next to his wife, sleeping with this woman. You want to know what happened? Listen to me. It didn't even happen in this church. And every time that I would like go to hug a woman or shake someone's hand, I was always thinking in my head, man, I got to be careful. Why? I don't look at you in any other way than as my sisters in Christ. When I hug Pastor Vanessa, I've known her since she's like this. I mean, you know, she didn't want to come to my class, glory to God. She was like in elementary school, middle school, going to high school. And, you know, I mean, I've known her since this is like my little sister there. When I hug her and I joke with her, man, there's no malice in that. There's no lust in that. There's, there's brotherly, sisterly love there. When I, w w w the thing is, when those things happen, automatically, everybody's radar is going, bing. That hug, that hug was a little bit too long. She didn't turn enough when she gave him a hug. You know that some people just don't know that rule? And what am I supposed to do? Like just totally make someone feel awkward when they like hug me because they're just like in a moment and they just like boom. And I'm like, whoa, listen, it's not because they're lustful and they have all of this stuff. They're just not educated like the rest of you godly women who should be educating them. Listen, you see a sister give some, a brother a hug like that. Just talk to her. Listen in love. I want to tell you something. Look, I noticed this. Just blame it on the brother. She'll get it. Be like, you don't know? You hugging on him, he's feeling you up like, don't, don't do it. Teach. Oh, she, uh-huh, I got my eye on her. Why? Why don't you really talk to her? Then see if she keeps doing it. If she keeps doing it, now we have an issue. But if she's not educated, she doesn't know any better. When immorality is in the church, it contaminates everything. You can't have true brotherly love between brothers and sisters, especially of the opposite sex. Now, let me pause for a moment. No matter how much immorality is not in the church, it doesn't mean you put yourself in compromising positions and situations with the opposite sex. Don't get crazy. Doesn't mean that, yo, well, we just have brotherly love, so we're just going to hang out all the time. Listen, there are plenty of people who started with just brotherly love, and it was real, just brotherly love, and all of a sudden, brotherly love, sister came in looking like so-and-so, mm-hmm. Too much time alone going to create issues. <laughs> My wife told me last night, she said, your secretary, she's going to have warts on her lips. She's going to have this and that and all the next thing. I said, baby, look, no, she's not because you are going to be my secretary. <laughs> I'm going to keep it, keep it real. Glory to God. 
right? Just crazy. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, you know, alligator skin, just, you know, crazy, just crazy. Just like, hey, babe, come on. Come on. Listen, when immorality is there, it messes things up. But don't put yourself in situations that are not right, compromising. If you think twice about it, don't do it. What does idolatry do? Idolatry destroys our ability to remain focused upon Christ as the source of all life, the savior of all mankind, and the center of all we are and do individually and collectively. I'll say it again. Idolatry destroys our ability to remain focused on Christ as the source of all life, the savior of all mankind, and the center of all we are and do individually and collectively. When we have idolatry, other things are our source of provision. It could be our job. It can be whatever. And so we are more faithful to those things than we are to God. Other things can be our source of life. We can be more devoted to our spouse or to our children because it is from them that we get joy and we get peace rather than our relationship with Jesus. Listen to me. Your children can become idols. Your parents can become idols. Your spouse can become an idol. It's important for us to get that. He's not the source of our life. And then he's not the center of everything. Everything doesn't truly revolve around him. The third thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. God demonstrates his mercy by granting time to repent and encouragement to the faithful. God demonstrates his mercy by granting time to repent and encouragement to the faithful. Continuing on here. Verse 21, and it says, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. When you look up that word, she did not repent, it is like just, she was not repenting. She did not want to repent. She wanted to continue to prophesy falsely, to continue to teach wrongly, to continue to seduce the servants of the Lord, to continue to lead people astray. She wouldn't repent of her stuff, but the Bible says he gave her time. That means that he was sending messages. He was communicating to her and letting her know, you need to repent of your sin. And he says this in verse 22. He says, indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. So he says to them, he says, listen, I've given her time to repent. And because she refuses to repent, because she will not turn away from her sin, because she will not do anything to make her situation right before me, because she will not acknowledge that her ways are wrong and abhorrent to me, because she will not do that, because she won't turn away, I'm going to send her into a bed of sickness, a bed of death. So the bed of adultery, where she was doing that, now is going to become a bed of sickness. The place where she was feeding her flesh is the, is the place where her flesh is going to die. And all of those servants and all of the ones that are following her, I'm going to go and throw them into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. Unless they, if they turn away from the deeds, they're not going to go through that. Again, not every hardship we go through is because of disobedience, but many times it is. Not every difficulty we face is because we have been disobedient, but a lot of the times it is. And verse 23 says, I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one according to your works. Now look at what he says. He says, I'm going to make an example of her. She wants to prophesy. I'm going to let the whole church know she's not right. 
I'm going to let the whole church know these things are not okay. Her children, it can mean one of two things there. It can either mean her natural born children are going to die. Could mean that. I like to think that it doesn't mean that. It means the children, her offspring, her followers. When you look up that word, it means the same thing as disciples in the Greek. Because they are the ones who are developing and molding. And so the ones that have been allowed to have been developed and mold, they're going to die. How are they are going to die? Well, they're either going to die a natural death that is going to send them to hell, or they are going to totally turn away from me, and they are going to, going to experience a, 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 a separation from me that people are going to know clearly, those aren't my servants. The point is, God always shows his mercy. He speaks truth, calling for repentance. He gives time to respond, and then he punishes rebellion. We should take note. What does he do? He's merciful. He's merciful. He shows you, man, I love you. Even this woman who came into the church falsely prophesying, falsely communicating what was not God's word, not God's will, deceiving and seducing people, bringing them into adultery and into idolatry, he still says to her, repent, turn to me. I don't want you to suffer. I don't want you to die. I don't want you to spend eternity in hell. He still says repent. And to every other person in here, you may have heard message after message after message. You may have heard preaching after preaching. And you may have heard God calling you to repent of your sin over and over again. Listen, God is calling you saying, turn from your sin. Awaken out of the darkness. Be shaken out of the slumber. Turn away from the compromise. Turn away from that lifestyle. Turn to me. Humble your heart and truly allow me to be Lord of your life. He communicates that today he shows his mercy because he loves us even while we're unworthy even while we do not deserve it the beauty of our God is that he goes on to say in verse 24 he says now I say now to you I say and to the rest in Thyatira as many as do not have this doctrine who have not known the depths of Satan as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. Look what he says. He rebukes the whole church. Just like this right now. At this moment, everybody in here is an idolater. Everyone. That's what it seems like. Everybody in here, not worshiping God the way that they should. But here's the beauty of this. God knows you who are reading your Bible. God knows you who are truly seeking his face. God knows you who are serving him with all of your heart. He knows you're not bowing down to other gods. And he knows that, in, that even in the areas where you struggle, you're still struggling against it. You haven't given in to it. He sees you. And he wants to encourage you and let you know, listen, you need to be praying harder for your brothers and sisters. You need to be seeking me more fervently for those who do not know me that walk into the house. He encourages you. He encourages them and lets them know, hey, you haven't embraced those doctrines. When he says the depths of Satan here, what he's saying is they had this mindset that there are people that they came in and they had this, this, this Gnostic, you know, this knowledge, this group of people that they were all into knowledge and all of this stuff. And they would come in and they would say, you know what, it is possible for you to engage in sin and yet not contaminate your spirit. That's what their belief was. Depths of Satan. 
I can, I can engage in all kind of idol. I can worship. I can bow down to whoever I want. I can do whatever I want to do. I can have sex outside of marriage. I can do everything that I want to do, and I'm okay. Sadly, many people in the church today believe the same thing. I'm good. God forgives. He does. But as he shows us here, there's a time. Forgiveness is not an option. Only judgment. In closing, he rebukes the whole church. He brings to everyone's attention the sin of the house. But then he tells them that he will destroy and punish only those who have been polluted. The ones who haven't been polluted, you don't have anything to worry about. Just pray for them. Continue to be the light in the midst of darkness. When we deal with one of these other churches, we'll talk about that. How God has, in the next church, Sardis, we'll talk about how God has some people in places that are just totally corrupt and horrible. But he has them there for a reason. To the overcomer, he says this. He says, but hold fast for what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works. See, there's, there's two contrasts here. Because when you look at her works and you look at their deeds in verse 22, they're going to be judged for those deeds. But he tells them, but if you hold fast to what you have till I come, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end. You have a choice. Which works are you going to do? God's works or the works of a false spirit? Until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel, as I also have received from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so he tells him, he says, you know what, if you overcome, you're going to reign and you're going to rule with me. You are going to reign and you are going to rule with me. You may not have every, everything on this earth that you want. You may not have all the dominion you want. You may not have all the position in society you want. You may not have all of those things. But you know what? At the end of all of this, you overcome all of the things you didn't see on this earth. You're going to see in a greater dimension when you go and, and, and reign with me in glory. He tells them lastly the most important thing. Again, it's all about Jesus. He says, and I will give them the morning star. Who's the morning star? It's Jesus. So you know what we get? This is the greatest reward. You get him in his fullness. Because right now, he's dawned in our heart. Right now, we know him. We don't know him completely. And when we go into glory, we get a full, unhindered knowledge of who he is. So I'll stand to our feet, please. Please bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. I heard a, I heard a, I heard a saying this week. It's an old saying that I heard before and I had forgot it, but it says hard words produce soft hearts. Soft hearts. I mean soft words produce hard hearts. You've heard some hard words today. And so my prayer is that it would have softened your heart and that you would respond to God with a repentant heart. What do I mean? Listen, you know if you're worshiping other things. You know if other things are coming before God. And if you're a Christian, that's idolatry. That's mixed worship. And you need to repent of that. You need to acknowledge that. And you need to come before God humbly. If you're not a Christian, you say, you know what, I'm not a Christian. Today's a wonderful day to become one. Today's a wonderful day that you can, you can cry out to God and ask him for forgiveness. Make a decision. Make a decision and say, God, I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge my need for you as my Savior.
and I want you to be my Lord, I throw my life at your feet. So that's, that, 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 those are the two places that you're at in this place. You either know that there's some things that you're dealing with as a Christian or you're not a Christian. And so if you respond to God today, I want you to just pray with me. Cry out to him. And then after we're done, if you pray and you really mean it, I want you to talk to me or I want you to talk to one of the leaders and let them know about the decision that you made. Let's all bow our heads and let's pray. Father, right now, God, we come before your presence. and We acknowledge wholeheartedly, God, that you truly are holy. You truly are righteous. And God, your word is clear, Lord. You do not approve of our idolatry. You do not approve of anything coming before you in our lives. And so, God, today we confess to you our sin, Lord. We confess to you, Lord God, that we are unrighteous. And even when we feel like we have arrived to some level, Lord God, we know that we have fallen short, my God. And so, Lord, today, as Christians, we come before you asking you, God, help us not to bow to the gods of this world, knowingly or unknowingly, God. Help us not to put anything before you, Heavenly Father. Help us not to serve anything or anyone more passionately than we serve you. Today, do a work in our hearts. Father, and I pray for those that are in this place that may not know you, that may not walk with you, that may know of you or may have known you at one time. But Father God, today they've heard your word coming toward them. And God, I know you're calling us as a people to repentance, Lord God. And so I pray that they would respond to you today. I pray that they would repent of their sin today. I pray that they would walk with you from this day forward in a relationship that is growing, my God. Father, fill their hearts with your peace fill their hearts with the understanding Lord God that today is a new day that if they have truly repented if they've truly responded to your conviction let your peace flood their hearts God and if not Lord I pray that your Holy Spirit would grip them until they do turn to you God that you would not turn them over to themselves but God that you would grasp a hold of them and not let them go until they turn to you God Holy Spirit today we surrender all to you and we give you all praise and we give you all glory in Jesus mighty name someone said come on and give God a hand of praise